Here's a question for you. What do Oprah Winfrey, Bill Gates, Jay-Z, and you have in common? <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to launch a softball here. It's not money, amen. <laughs> what do we have in common with some of the most celebrated and well-known names in the world. And this is what it is. We have, every day, 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 41 seconds in common. We have the same amount of time. And we normally round it to 24 hours, amen? We have been given the same amount of time in the same day. So a lot of times we hear people say, well, I just don't have enough time. But the truth is, everyone has been given the same amount of time, and it's not about the amount of time we've been given, but what we do with the time that we've been given. Today we're going to continue our series in stewardship, and we're going to look at how God calls us as stewards to use our time wisely. If you can stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand and turn to the 90th division of Psalm. The 90th division of Psalm. I love Psalm 90, a great psalm. I love the uh, first verse, the kind of inscription of the psalm. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Man, what a, a great way to have our lives summed up, to be called men of God. And Moses is going to teach us in this passage what it, what it means to live with time on our mind and to, to take that time seriously. Psalm 90, starting at verse 1, we're going to kind of just march through the psalm together through the 17th verse. The word of God reads, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toll and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 17. So teach us to number our days that we may 
get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your works be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You may be seated. As I said, when we think about the most known or maybe productive people in the world, sometimes we just get this thought that if only I had more time, maybe I could be as productive as they are. But today we need to to face the truth that we have the same amount of time as the most productive person we know. J.H. Jowett once said, I think one of the cant phrases of our day is the familiar one by which we express our permanent want of time. We repeat it so often that by the very repetition we have deceived ourselves into believing it. It is never the supremely busy men who have no time. So compact and systematic is the regulation of their day that whenever you make a demand on them, they seem to find additional corners to offer for unselfish service. I confess as a minister that the men to whom I most hopefully look for additional service are the busiest men, are the busiest men. In essence, what is he saying? He's saying that the people who are often the most busiest and most productive somehow seem to have the most time. Because the time that they are using is well calculated and systematically thought through. And I think that's true. I think that when we find ourselves complaining about how busy we are, normally we're busy thinking about how busy we are. It's not because we're actually busy. (laughs) Right? We're busy thinking about how busy we are as we procrastinate about getting to business. That procrastination is a beast, isn't it? It has a way of of getting to us all and keeping us all from from being as productive for the kingdom of God as we would like to. One author said, procrastination is the thief of time and it is the devil's most potent way of keeping us from living out our mission. Procrastination. It's the most potent way to keep us from living out our mission. Uh, Jay Saunders says these words, suppose that we allot ourselves a generous eight hours a day for sleep, and few need more than that, three hours for meals and conversation, ten hours for work and travel, Still, we have 35 hours each week to fill. What happens to them? How are they 
invested. A person's entire contribution to the kingdom of God may turn on how those hours are used. Certainly, those hours determine whether life is commonplace or extraordinary. How we use our time, at the end of the day, determines how productive we are from the kingdom of God, and it is the difference from living a life that is extraordinary, not necessarily in the the world's way of extraordinary. I'm not talking about money and yachts and cars, but I'm talking about productive for God. It really comes down to how we use our time. Now, I can use this time and simply give you principles of time management. I want you to use this time and and give you the best research practices and and what to do when we first get up in the morning and what not to do. But I'm going to leave that to Google. All right? I think we can Google that. I think we can go to uh, any office depot and and find a a little book on time management. I think that we can uh, figure out some good principles to hold ourselves accountable for that. But that's not what I want to do today. As we talk about this stewardship series, making the most of all that we are and all that God has given us today, I want to give us a a big picture of God and a picture of ourselves and a picture of time so that when we leave this place, we're not left saying, I need to do this, 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 but I need to be mindful that my time on earth is not very long, that I don't have an eternity to play with. And that what I use and how I use my time on earth is going to determine how my eternity is spent. It's going to determine how my eternity is spent. Moses, this great man of God, lived to be about 120 years old. And he lived a full, very full life. In the life of Moses, you just find every type of emotion and just about every type of experience as he was called by God to bring his children out of Israel. But even before Moses, those the second 40 years of his life was called by God to, uh, 30, 40 years of his life was called by God to deliver uh, his children out of Egypt, he had some, a full life and full experiences. The first 40 years of his life was spent in Pharaoh's house. And in Pharaoh's house, he received a great education. But we know that he got kicked out of Pharaoh's house because he murdered a man for uh, harassing Jews, to which he was one of them. And then the next 40 years of Moses' uh, life is spent in the wilderness, wandering and and working jobs and, and trying to build a fortune for himself. And then the last 40 years of his life is spent with him confronting, of course, Pharaoh and, and the rest of the uh, Egyptians and bringing the children of Israel out into the wilderness. Moses knew something about time, and he experienced how God thought about time and how man used time. And Moses learned to number his days. In fact, there's a time in Moses' life where his, he wasn't using his time wisely. The Bible says in I believe it's Genesis chapter 18. Moses is sitting in in front of the congregation all day, hearing offenses and and acting as the judge of Israel where his father-in-law Jethro comes and confronts him on the way that he's spending and using his time. So Moses had to be taught how to use his time as well. But Moses pens a very poetic prayer and a prayer that can help us have the, the right mindset 
when it comes to the use of our time. And the first thing he points out in this prayer is he compares the eternity of God with the brevity of man's life. Verses 1 through 6. The eternity of God with the brevity of man's life. Look at the Bibles. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are God. First thing he does is he shows us that God is everlasting. And I love what he says about God in verse 1. He says, Lord, you are our dwelling place. You are our dwelling place in all generations. Now, who's he talking about there? He's talking about Israel. He's reflecting on Israel. And he says, from the time that Israel became Israel, the time that Jacob became Israel, you have been Israel's home. You have been Israel's safe place. You have been Israel's refuge. God is a refuge. He is a dwelling place. He is a home. And what's phenomenal is he says throughout all generations. That means no matter where Israel was, as a result of them being the covenant people of God, God still took care of them. And he still protected them. (laughs) When they were in Egypt for 400 years, spending their time working for Pharaoh, he was there. And even when they were in the wilderness in rebellion for 40 years, wandering around, He was their refuge. He goes on and says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before the mountains were formed, God was there. And he's always been. Someone asks you, who created God and where did he come from? Of course, we give him an answer. God is the self-existing one. And he does not change. He is immutable. He, he, he can't be improved upon. He doesn't wake up one day and, and say, you know, all of, I don't, I don't want to be good anymore. Today I want to be evil. No, he is consistent. And he's been that way from, from eternity's past, and he'll be that way in eternity's future. He's so amazing. He's so perfect. And part of his perfection is this, is that he is equally present in eternity's past as he is in the present moment, as he is in the future. That's what makes him God. He doesn't just operate in time, he's outside of time. (laughs) That's why he's perfect. He has a perfect memory of the past. He knows what's going on right now. And he's perfectly in the future. Where you're going, he's coming from. And yet at the same time, he's he's there. (laughs) So he sets it up by showing us that God is eternal and that he relates to time differently than we do. Now in verses 3 through 6, he's going to show us the the brevity of man's life, the, the brevity of our time compared to God. And this is meant to humble us. Listen to what he says. You return to the dust and say, return, O children of man, 
for a thousand years in your sight, but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. He, <laughs> Moses says to, oh, to cause man dust, or this word dust literally means Adam, right? God says to us, return man to the dust. We were made from the dust, and we will return one day to the dust, and we really are but dust. We're decorated dust, but we're dust. We're dirt. Your tub proves that every time you take a tub bath and get up out of it, and you see that ring of dirt around. And he says that our life spans. It's, it's short as dust. And look at how God, how time is to God. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch of the night. It says a thousand years to God is as yesterday is to us. It's how quick it is. It's how recent it is. We see life as minutes and days, and weeks, and months put together. Moses says to God, that is but a night, a thousand years, eternity. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, speaking of mankind, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and it withers. Our lives to God is like an item that doesn't have much weight to it, that gets swept away as in a flood. And Moses is probably uh, looking and thinking back on his time in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And he's, he's... probably thinking about how many times he and others were spending time with with, uh, Israelites and and they were there one second and gone the next. Perhaps he's thinking of the time where uh, some some of the Israelites rebelled against God and against Moses and the the ground opened up and swallowed them. Like a, a flood that came through and just carried them away. So is our span of life. It's not very long. It's extremely brief. In fact, he goes on and he compares our life to grass. Charles Spurgeon says that grass is sown, grass is blown, grass is mown, and then grass is gone. In the same way, our lives are like grass. It is sown, right? We we live, we grow, we have those golden years We look good in the spring, and then the scorching heat of the summer comes, and we wither away. So he compares us to God. God is an eternal, existing God. He's always been. He always will be. He does not change. And we are dust. We are like an item taken away quickly by a flood. We are like grass. Is that how you think about time and the time that you have? That the time that we've been given is short and it won't last long, but eternity is forever 
and what we did with the short time that God has loaned us is how we will spend eternity. James chapter 4, real quick. James gives us a, a commission and a call to not take our time for granted. Listen to what he says. Again, he's writing to Jews that are in dispersion. He's trying to encourage them to, to not be arrogant about how they use their time. He reads in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. One of our mission trips that we went to, one of our sisters did a morning devotion on uh, the fact that we are a mist that is, uh, appears now and is gone for a second. She took out some type of hairspray and just sprayed it. And we got to see a visual of how quick our lives are in the sight of James says, let's not be arrogant about how we see tomorrow. Let's not make plans about tomorrow as if we know for certain we will be in tomorrow. Because tomorrow is not promised. And I learned this at a young age. I lost a, a friend of mine named Warren. Warren, uh, in high school, uh, was dating a girl named LaShawn. At the time, a, a girl that I was dating, she was really close to LaShawn. And I, I'll never forget, I got a text message that said that LaShawn, who was pregnant, was uh, in the hospital about to have a, a baby, and Warren uh, was on his way to see her, and someone read a, ran a red light. Warren was uh, 17 at the time, 18 at the time, and he got hit and killed on the way to see his child be born. Reminded by the brevity of time, when I think about my cousin Maria, who... Some time ago, at 16 years old, I believe that was in 2007, is hanging out with some friends at a gas station. They get off in the car, and they drive off, and they're hit by a car head on, and she, she dies. See, the lie that we believe is that tomorrow is promised. And we think that because we are young and vibrant and can move and do this and do that, that, that we'll be here tomorrow. And, and some of us even think, I'll serve the Lord tomorrow. I'm too young to serve the Lord now. I'll serve the Lord tomorrow. I'll wait till I'm older, then I'll give my life to Jesus. I'll be like my parents. I'll go to church and I'll, I'll live the, the straight and narrow for Jesus. But what if today, tomorrow, next week, next month, is your last day? It's an arrogance. Many times that we plan our day and we plan our year putting off the things that is most important to God and that will most benefit and, and, and love our neighbors and the people around us in order to use it for selfish gain. Moses here reminds Israel of the brevity of their life. In the morning, verse 6, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and it that event this week, my wife and I, uh, this Friday, went to a, a gala, and there was a woman who got up and who gave a testimony to the audience 
She was the wife of the Barstown police officer that one day went out to work and got assassinated or killed, set up in an area where police officers don't normally experience violence. Now she finds herself as a single mother with two young boys. Life is Some of us, we're holding grudges against people. That's absolutely foolish and selfish. We're in here, we're upset about our spouse over stuff that really at the grand scheme of things does not matter. We've allowed sibling rivalries and, and relationships that take a, effect in, in presidents because of jealousy and envy. When those things that you are jealous of or envious of in the grand scheme of things do not matter, they won't be able to take it to eternity with them and you won't be able to take it either. And we are wasting time. Someone once said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. How much time are you spending trying to get revenge at someone or energy being mad at somebody? How much time are you spending trying to scheme to go places and, and do things that at the end of the day really won't satisfy? Remember that life is brief and God has saved you, dear Christian, for a reason. He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has set his affections on you before the foundations of the world in order that you could experience joy and abundant life in his will and not squander it and waste it. So he moves from looking at the eternity of God to the brevity of man in our next section. We're going to look at the sinfulness of man and the anger of God. He turns in verses 7 through 11, he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to your fear of you? So I want you to, to see here that Moses is really focusing here on the, the attribute of God in, in the terms of anger. And he's probably doing this because, again, he's reflecting on Israel. And he's reflecting on how much time they wasted and how they wasted their life in the wilderness. They were a few days journey away from, from Canaan, from rest, the writer of Hebrew says, from the promises of God. But they did not find satisfaction in God because they did not walk by faith and trust him. And instead, they spent their whole life going around in circles going around in circles, lost. And Moses is saying that this was a result of God being angry with them because they constantly doubted him. 
over and over. He says, anger and wrath and anger and wrath and anger and wrath. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news today is if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is how God relates to you today. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, God's anger is towards you. You say, no, God is, God is love, right? There's no way that he's angry with me. God is a God of love, and, and, and I know that I mess up, and I may not follow Jesus, but at the end of the day, God loves me. Well, Psalms 5, 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, for you hate all evildoers. Yes, God is love. That is a, a part of his character. That's who he is. 1 John chapter 4 says, But God also is a God of anger and wrath. And his anger and wrath is poured out on those whose sins are set before him. Those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. Those who have not accepted his love. Those who reject his love. God loved you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for you. So that your sins would not be counted against you. He allowed his son to become a substitute for you on the cross. He took your place. He took your sin upon him so that you could be free and could live for him if you put your faith and trust in him. And for those who have not put their faith and trust in him, you are under his wrath. Now, for those who have put their faith and trust in him, we are no longer under his wrath, for Jesus absorbed his wrath, and he is no longer angry with us. But we still must be mindful of how we use our time so that we can be in his will and be where he wants us to be when he wants us to be it. Because being in the will of God and being where he wants us to be when he wants us to be it is when we find joy. We may be going through, but if we're in God's will, we can go through with joy. We may be a little dismayed, but if we're in God's will, we are not crushed. We may feel alone in God's will, but we know that if we're in God's will, we're never alone. For he said, I will be with you, yea, even to the end of the world. Moses is probably reflecting on those who came under God's wrath because even though they were Jews, they were not God's covenant people because they had not put their faith and trust in him. Look at what he says in verse 10. Your years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. Why is our 70 or 80 years on earth span, uh, span full of toil and trouble? Because of sin. We go back to the Genesis narrative in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, when sin entered into the world toil and trouble entered into the world. That's, that's not a very long lifespan, 70 or 80 years. Moses lived to be 120 years, but, but during that time, the average lifespan was about 70 or 80 years. That's approximately, including a yeet, uh, leap year, 25,567 days. 70 years. Some of us have about 3,000 days left, according to Moses' calculation. <laughs> Some of us five. 
if our life was like this book, we all would be at a, at a, at a certain point. Nia, Josiah, my kids, they may be here. Some of us, were closer to the end. But no matter if you're at the front or the back, the pages are turning every day. Billions and billions have come before us and saved the return of Jesus. Billions of, be- billions of people will come after us. And at the end of the day, how we spent our short, misty, grass-like time is what's going to matter. He goes on, and he says in verse number 12, so he, he turns from meditation and thinking about time and God in time to an earnest prayer. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses is, is crying out to the Lord, and he's saying, Lord, teach us as your people to number our years. No. Our months. And we really do need to be taught how to live in light of death and the coming of Jesus. He says, teach us to to number them. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. So now he's going to go forth in prayer. And in his prayer, I think there's three things that kind of stick out to me. The first is that, that Moses had a mindset of of being a servant. He understood that our time on earth is not to be spent serving ourselves, but serving God. And he cries out to God in humility as he's thinking about the end that is most certain. He says, Lord, teach us, your servants, to number our days. If you are alive and in Christ today, It is important that we see ourselves as Christ's servants. Those who have been saved and those who are left behind to to serve his kingdom and to serve other people. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable. And in that parable, he is uh, putting a a picture before his disciples of his, his return. And he's reminding them that he is going to return quickly. Early on, he says, like a a thief in the night. He says in verse 43, Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Blessed or happy, truly. I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So Jesus says the servant that is alert, the servant that is awoke, the servant that is living on mission for him is going to be blessed when his time comes. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. 
kind of speaks for itself, right? Verse 47. And the servant who knew his master will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will will receive a severe beating. So the first example is a servant who uh, just completely squanders his time and his life. And, and in fact, not only does he squander it, but he is just mean to people. He is a, a drunk. He is living life for himself. He is his own God. He is in control, he thinks. He says when it's time for him to come home, when it's time for his life to be over, that servant is going to be cut in pieces, which is probably a symbolism for will be cast into hell. But the second servant, he says, is the servant who is not doing, he's not very faithful, but it's, it's really because he hasn't been taught to be faithful. He says this is what will happen to him. He says he will receive a severe beating. That's probably a picture of a person who's put their faith and trust in Christ, but who was not mature or whatever, and they kind of squandered it. Maybe that's that's a possible verse forty-eight. But the one who did not know and did not—I'm sorry—and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So he's showing us these different degrees and how, uh, uh, metaphorically, symbolically, how God is going to deal with us according to really how we use our time. There's a severe dealing, there's a a less severe dealing, and then he goes, everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand much. Now when God, when Jesus comes back as his children, there's not a, a day where we'll be fearful and saying, man, I'm about to get a spanking, I'm about to get a whooping. That's not the point of the parable, okay? The point of the parable because uh, we know those who have put their faith and trust in Christ know that's going to be a joyous day. That's going to be a, a great day. According to 1 Corinthians 3, uh, our works is going to be measured, and based upon our works and what we did with our time will in some way point us to how we are rewarded in the kingdom of God, how we spend the rest of eternity. Okay? But the point of this passage is, is that we, like a, a servant, like a steward over a, a master's home or work, that we will be held accountable one day for how we spent our time. We will be held accountable for how we spent our time. And that's why Moses is crying out to the Lord as a dust particle, as grass, and saying, Lord, This thought drives Moses to his knees, and he begs God. He said, give me wisdom so that I would number my days. And my prayer for you, Christian, as a servant of God, is for you to cry out to the Lord and pray, Lord, help me to not be arrogant with how I use my time. Help me to not be selfish with how I use that 35 extra hours a week or 25 extra hours a week. But help me, Lord, to be mindful of it and use it as your servant. As your servant. To love my neighbor with that time as I love myself. Look at verse 10. Let your work be shown to your servants. Again, he has a servant mentality. 
as a Christian? Do you see yourself, your, one of your identities, one of your main identities as a Christian, as a servant of God? When we wake up in the morning, God, you have allowed me to have breath in my body one more day so that I can pursue Jesus, be in his will, and serve others. Or are we waking up in the morning thinking, what is about, about what someone else is or isn't doing or how we can get somebody else to do something for us? All right? Teach us to number our day. Second is not only does he have a mindset of a servant, but he also understands that satisfaction is only found in God. He begs God. He says, Lord, give me a, a help, help your servant. Then he goes on, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have inflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. He prays to God. He says, in, in light of all that we've seen and all the toil and all the struggle, Lord, in the morning, would you satisfy us with your love? I'm convinced that part of the reason that we squander time is because we're looking for satisfaction outside of God. How much of our time, how much of our life is, is wasted seeking after things that ultimately don't satisfy us? But Moses understands that he can't make his heart be satisfied in God, that only God can satisfy our heart and make our hearts be satisfied in him. So he prays, God, satisfy me in the morning. Remind me of your steadfast, of your unfailing love. Remind me of your grace. Remind me of your goodness. Remind me of your care. Remind me that you are trustworthy. Remind me that you are for me and not against me. Remind me of what you've brought me through. Remind me that you will never abandon me. Remind me, oh God. That if the world is against me and you are for me, then me plus you is bigger and better than those who are against me. If God is for us, Paul said, who can be against us? But he says, remind me of that. And as Christians, we need to be reminded of God's love every single morning. That God loved us enough to, to allow his son to become our ransom. And if we're not finding satisfaction in that love and in that truth, we will not use our time wisely. We will squander it by becoming workaholics, thinking that satisfaction is going to come by me getting a, a certain amount on a check or me getting the approval of a boss. If we're not satisfied with his love, we're going to go astray and try to find it in alcohol or, or drugs or or pornography, or relationships that God does not want us to be in if we're not satisfied with his love. Then at the end of our life, we'll look back over our life and all we'll see is, a, is brokenness. Because we weren't running to the eternal, self-existent, immutable, unchanging God for satisfaction. God wants you to be satisfied. Following Jesus is not bondage, it's freedom. Being in tune with Jesus is not bondage, it brings joy. John chapter 15 tells us that. 
When we abide in Jesus, when we remain in him, we get to an experience an inexhaustible joy, an inexhaustible satisfaction. Yes, we may be heavy in spirit sometimes. Yes, we may even be depressed, but we know at the end of the day that there is hope. Jesus found satisfaction in the Father, and Jesus was a man alive. Close, verse 17. He prays for the Lord to have mercy on us as servants, and we all need mercy because we're all squanderers of time. He prays that the Lord will satisfy him in the morning, that he'll be able to rejoice and be glad in the midst of a, a broken world. Then he goes on in verse 17, and let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. I'm praying that that's what we'll pray for as a church, that the favor of the Lord will be upon us as we work for him. Missionally, as we love our neighbors, as we love our coworkers, but also uh, just, just every day as we're working hard, that God's favor will be with us on our job. So that when people look at the way we use our time, when people look at the way we work, they will see our good works but glorify our God in heaven. Our life is but a moment. Our life is brief. But our life can be full of gladness and joy. It can be full of seeing God at work if we surrender it to him as his servant and not use it selfishly to build our own kingdom. But, you know, I, I wept reading this again last night, verse 16, in prayer. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. I want to see God's work in my life. And I want to see my children see his power. Paul said the kingdom of God is more than talk. It's a demonstration of power. I want to see chains broken in this church. I want to see chains broken in this community. I want to see chains broken in my family members' lives. I want to see chains broken in my neighbor's life. I want my children to be able to experience the very power of God and say, look, God can change people. He can change a community. He can change a state. He can change a nation. And we've got to be thirsting for it. We've got to pray for it. And we've got to realize that our time is short. And that we need to make the most use of it. We need to plan out our days. We need to plan out our hours so that we can maximize our heart, our heads, and our hands for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I pray that you would Put your weight on us. Help us to realize, Father God, that life is very short. Time is passing quickly. Soon we will stand before Jesus. 
as either Lord and Savior of our life or as judge. Lord, we sometimes tend not to think of it and we sometimes tend to maybe think of it as something that's going to happen way, way, way in the future, but Lord, help us to see, Lord, that that could be, that could be very quickly. Your word says that the son will return as a thief in the night, that there will be wars and rumors of wars, and, and we know that that's true already. As a church, Lord, I pray that you would make us passionate for Jesus in such a way that we, that we watch our time closely, that we plan times of prayer, that we plan times of outreach, that we plan times of intentionally loving our neighbor, that we plan times of reading our Bible, that we pursue him early in the morning, seeking him to satisfy our, our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.